Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a recap of the recent Coalition of Greater Minnesota Cities annual conference, summer food shelf use in Minnesota, and a Gopher football preview. But first, the latest Minnesota Comprehensive Assessment, or MCA, testing results out this week showed math scores down slightly in some key areas and reading scores mostly unchanged compared to last year. Education Commissioner Brenda Caselius called the results frustrating. I recently spoke to the commissioner about the scores and what's being done to try to move them in the right direction moving forward. What we've been seeing um, over time is that we've been uh, having small growth uh, in both math and reading. However, Uh, It's just not fast enough. Uh, We'd like to see progress continue for our kids, and we'd like to see more accelerated uh, achievement gap closure as well. And uh, from what I've seen from the report, it looks like math scores uh, decreased slightly at some areas, reading staying about the same. And I know from your statement uh, uh, that came out earlier this morning, it's frustrating to you. Can you just explain that a little bit, why it's frustrating and how you want to move forward from this? Well, we've been at it now um, for quite a while. No Child Left Behind was back in 2000, and we've just now rewritten that law with the new Every Student Succeeds Act, which gives us an opportunity to uh, press on even uh, more strategically and uh, with more focus. And so I think as we continue to see our demographics change and as we continue to see the standards uh, be very rigorous for college and career-ready alignment, Uh, Our teachers are adjusting to that, and it just is painstakingly slow, (laughs) Um, and I want to see that just happen a little bit faster, which means we just have to be a little bit more strategic, I think. And in terms of that strategy and what ESSA does, can you maybe just give me a few of the the key points of, of ESSA and how that aims to close that achievement gap? Well, one real difference in the Every Student Succeeds Act is working with English language learners, and so we'll be sure that uh, we're working uh, differently with them in ways that will help them accelerate their language acquisition um, and also their uh, ability to understand uh, more rigorous content and language um, barriers that they may face. Uh, Also, uh, what it allows for us to do is to look more at where Uh, the money is going and flexibilities to ensure that every student has a great teacher and that the money is flowing to those who need it most. You know, Commissioner, I know that you travel throughout the state and visit schools uh, almost all the time as part of your job, so I'm wondering when you get uh, results like this, is is it surprising to you or do you have a sense of what's going to happen before you get the results? Yeah, you know, I, I do see a lot of teachers working smarter uh, and harder and looking at the data and doing more types of assess- smaller assessments throughout the year to see where their kids are moving toward. But it is, it's not surprising in the fact that when you're looking at entire statewide systems and a new accountability system where about 50% of our schools were never uh, held accountable before, we're seeing school districts wrap their arms around new planning and new strategic planning uh, that focuses on all kids, not just some kids or most kids. And so I think that that small attention that's going to be paid to kids who have been underachieving in the past is going to make for a big difference in the future. It's just going to take a little time to get there and change the entire statewide system to get those statewide results. 
I think also as the years move on, it's not something we'll probably see in this administration under the governor's leadership in terms of results, but with more kids having access to early learning and preschool, I think we're going to start seeing some uh, breakthrough results as they are better prepared for kindergarten and for success in elementary. Is that a concern of yours that after this administration, uh, for example, if a Republican becomes the governor, that some of those uh, initiatives will go in a different direction than where it's headed under Governor Dayton? Well, we've had good bipartisan support uh, for the initiatives. It's just a a little bit of difference in uh, philosophy on which way uh, to go and and how much to do in terms of um, the percentage of dollars that are targeted or whether everybody gets a great start uh, in terms of universal preschool. So I would say that, you know, if a Republican wins, I'd hope that they have just as much care for children as uh, our Democratic um, uh, governor candidates. I hope education is a priority for governors uh, on both sides of the aisle, uh, and I hope that they'll make it their focus of the next campaign because we can't let up now and we have to keep pushing forward so that all kids are getting the great education we've come to love in Minnesota. And Commissioner, I know that if there are parents out there who maybe see the headlines of talking about scores decreasing slightly or staying relatively flat, um, you know, we've been talking about the achievement gap for a while. What do you say to those parents who are concerned, as you are, that maybe things aren't happening fast enough? What, what would your message to those parents be? Well, I think the best thing for parents to do is to really get involved at their school level and also at the district level. Uh, Many times, you know, schools are making budgets and strategic plans, and there's very limited parent involvement in those plans. And I think that that uh, added involvement and engagement of parents could really help push the needle forward for all kids. So I would say that uh, is uh, very important for them. However, I would also caution that just one test is not um, going to be the full measure of whether a school is successful or not. And so talking to your teachers, talking to your principals, and going uh, to the school and visiting regularly is really critical in uh, overall school success. Thanks again to my guest, Minnesota Education Commissioner Brenda Caselius. Minnesota Matters will be right back after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. State government is going in the wrong direction, said nearly three-quarters of local officials in an informal survey at last week's Coalition of Greater Minnesota Cities annual conference in Fergus Falls. MNN's Bill Werner made the drive and had the chance to talk with mayors, city council members, and other officials. Scott, when the results of the wireless electronic clicker survey came up on the screen, it got reporters' attention and maybe even dropped a few jaws a little bit. Everyone probably expected bad marks for the federal government. 84% said Washington is headed the wrong direction. But ratings almost as bad for state government is a little bit surprising considering how relatively productive this last legislative session was. Now, these local officials, of course, are focused on local issues, but still many of them have substantial political experience and are probably pragmatic about what's reasonable to expect from the legislature and what isn't. So to get a better understanding of why the poor report card on state lawmakers' performance, we talked with several local officials, beginning with Bemidji Mayor Rita Albrecht. I think there's kind of an anti-government sentiment out there right now, and you know what the cities do is we just provide services for people. We're trying to make sure that you know the toilets flush, the drinking water is safe, streets are plowed, and and to you know taking a hit all the time for government, I think is unfortunate. We governments are just trying to help people do better. State government going in the wrong direction. Why do you think? 
I think there was a missed opportunity this last session. They could have fun, fully funded LGA with the amount of money they had, and they chose not to. And that was a missed opportunity because LGA is probably the single best way to reduce local property taxes, and that's what a lot of people were looking to do. LGA stands for Local Government Aid, which is state aid to cities. There's also state aid to counties. The third major component of property taxes is school districts, and they get state aid through a complicated education funding formula. Mayor Albrecht says the legislature also missed another opportunity this year. We had a surplus, and with the workforce problem that we have right now looming and the need to train and retrain workers, the lack of education funding for higher ed I thought was just a, a stunning missed opportunity. And long-term impact well, of that? Well, you know, in Bemidji, we don't, we don't have a jobs problem. We have a worker problem. We don't have enough people to fill the jobs. And that's true across greater Minnesota in general, I think. So funding higher ed, the universities like Bemidji State University, our Northwest Technical College, to do those technical, uh, to get business partners to ante up and share the cost of education, I think is important. And, and I don't know that the legislature, this legislature, put enough effort into you know, understanding the needs of higher ed and the, and the, and the funding for higher ed. That's Bemidji Mayor Rita Albrecht. A different perspective from Owatonna Mayor Tom Kuntz. The frustration I have with state government today is everything that gets discussed gets discussed on party lines. Nothing, nothing gets discussed as a compromise. You know, when we looked at the video that was up here earlier today on the old state government, you had the leaders that made sure there was compromise. Today, I don't know if we've got a leader that makes sure there's compromise getting things done. And so for that process, yeah, we are probably going a little bit along the wrong direction because we can't work together to get anything done. So it sounds like what you're saying is that it's it's not even so much the particular policy decisions that are being made. It's it's kind of the the attitude of people toward each other that's exactly. causing the problem. Exactly. You know, and I don't know if that's the five dollar gift rule that you can't you know you can't buy a lunch or, but before they used to go have a cigarette and a beer in the backyard and figure out how to get things done and now it just doesn't seem to work that way anymore. You looked at Roger Moe and some of those guys in the past, they were able to get, I don't care what party you were on, they were able to call them together and get things done. And we just don't see that today. That's Owatonna Mayor Tom Kuntz. Finally, for an overall perspective on the issues that concern local officials, we talked to the outgoing president of the Coalition of Greater Minnesota Cities, Alexandria Mayor Sarah Carlson. We talk a lot about local government aid. You know, that's probably our number one issue that we continue to work with. We talk about transportation a lot. Um, those two issues um, and business development, jobs, housing, those issues come up all the time, over and over again. And those are the things we go to the legislature with and, and over and over talk about what we need in greater Minnesota. And we try to prioritize those. And again, it will be local government aid, it will be jobs, it will be housing, and it will be transportation. There's no doubt in my mind that those issues come up year after year for greater Minnesota. You and I are both well acquainted with the issue of, of local government aid. You more so than I, but I, I'm pretty familiar.
familiar with it, but for folks out there who are, who are listening to us and who aren't really familiar with this, how does this play into it? This is aid from the state right. to municipal to cities to around cities, Minnesota. Yes. Uh, and what's the importance of it? Uh, wh why are you? Because you talk to lawmakers in St. Paul about this quite a bit. Why yes. is LGA so important, and how much the state puts in in terms of LGA? Well, it's important because it goes to cities to help them defer the costs for um, necessary services that they have for their cities. So it it helps lower their tax levies for necessary services, police, fire, um, all those services that um, brings down their tax levies. We have a pot of money. The formula determines how it's proportioned out, how yep, it's parceled it out, took, but what about it, the money? How about it that? It took a dip, and we would like to see it go back to its original amount back in 2002, and we keep asking the legislature for that amount and trying to get back there, and, and we would be happy with that amount. You don't always get everything that you want from the legislature, as you well know, <laughs> but we keep working on it. That's Alexandria Mayor Sarah Carlson. So there we have it, Scott. The view from the front lines of local government at the Coalition of Greater Minnesota Cities annual conference in Fergus Falls. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Food shelf use remains at record levels across the state, but the face of the user is changing. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. Following the Great Recession, which started back in 2007 and ended in 2010, the primary user of the state's food shelves were Minnesota families trying to make ends meet. Over the last couple of years, that's changed greatly to another population that needs our help. Joining me now is Colleen Moriarty, Executive Director of Hunger Solutions Minnesota. Colleen, what's food shelf use been like this summer? Well, we don't we don't keep the numbers absolutely, you know, up to date month to month. But what we know is that numbers have been fairly flat um, throughout the state. We haven't seen a large increase, um, but what we have seen is a, a change in the demographics of who's visiting food shelves. We saw a 38 percent increase in seniors over the last year, and so that tells me that seniors are running into even more difficulty finding knowing where their next meal is coming from. We also have seen the children, of course, do increase slightly in the summer, but the biggest increase we've seen is with seniors. And this has shifted a little bit because at the height of the recession and uh, in a few years following the recession, we were seeing more families. Is that correct? Right, right. We were seeing more families. Now, you know, families who are getting SNAP can only buy food at the using their SNAP card, and so they may use the food shelves for, you know, the kinds of things they can't get at the five through their SNAP card, like toilet paper or, you know, personal care items of any kind. Or So that continues to be a regular use by families. But, you know, I think that the important thing for me when I look at these numbers is that what we haven't seen is a big drop-off. And one would make the assumption, and I think, you know, people have, that, as the economy improved, we'd see a big drop-off from our all-time high numbers. And in fact, we haven't. We've just seen them remain the same. So what that tells me is that we're not seeing the improvement in the group of people of our, of our neighbors who are using the food shelves. 
And shifting back a little bit um, to senior citizens, um, is this a concern considering that we're really seeing an aging population here in Minnesota, especially over the next uh, five, ten years? Absolutely. I think that is a tremendous concern. I also think that, you know, people are living longer and they're probably outliving their, um, their resources. And I also think that people are in, who are moving into the, the baby boomers moving into the elderly population, they're not as, you know, they don't hold the same stigma about going to the food shelf as maybe the greatest generation did. And so a 38% increase is enormous. And um, that really tells me that we have to look at making sure that the food that we have at the food shelves, you know, can help people who are facing restricted diets, and, you know, maybe on medications that they can't eat certain things, they need to have access to, all people who go to food shelves need to have access to safe and nutritious food. But, you know, now we, this, this brings another challenge. But, you know, the food shelves in Minnesota are astounding. The food banks work with them to make sure that they, you know, have access to other product. And the gardeners and the growers and the farmers and the, all around the state, you know, really work hard to to make sure that there is food in the food shelves. But they were stretched to meet that all-time high in, in the recession, and they've continued to stretch. But, you know, w- one small challenge in a family budget throws a family into crisis, and they could end up at the food shelves. It could be your neighbor. It could be anyone. And, you know, going back to this 38% increase of senior citizens, um, in your mind, uh, um, is this population taking advantage of the different programs, including the SNAP program? You know, we have done a lot of senior outreach, but we continue to focus in on that. Um, We need to get everyone who's eligible and, you know, income eligible for the programs enrolled in them. I think that the rhetoric about, you know, um, that puts any shame on anyone who's on public programs is not helpful when we're looking at seniors. We're looking at anyone who needs help being able to really step forward and get that help. So, I, you know, I think we need to continue to do a strong case for the fact that these federal benefits are there for you to use. And really, without the federal benefits, without the food shelves, if, you know, people who are in the elderly population that we're seeing this big increase, if they don't have the appropriate food and nutrition, their medicine doesn't work, their, you know, their, um, their, Stability is in question, whether they can continue to live alone. Um, I think that if you are a, a child of a parent who's in that population, you know, it, it makes you feel like they're better cared for if you know they have access to uh, the right kind of food. So encourage your parents, encourage anyone that you're being a caretaker for to really reach out and take advantage of those resources. They worked hard all their life and they deserve it. Thanks again to my guest, Colleen Moriarty, Executive Director of Hunger Solutions Minnesota. For more information on the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, also known as SNAP, you can contact your local Human Services office or go online to hungersolutions.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Golden Gopher football team just wrapped up its second week of fall camp, getting ready for the season opener coming up on August 31st. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm is also the radio voice of the Golden Gophers and is joined on the broadcast by the all-time leading rusher in school history, Daryl Thompson. This week on Minnesota Matters, the two sat down to preview the upcoming season and tell us a bit about Daryl's personal passion. Well, Daryl, you've had a chance now to watch a couple of these practices. Uh, you've been around P.J. Fleck. What's your impression of this new coaching staff and this Gopher program right now? Well, I think it's um, extremely energetic. I like what Coach Fleck is doing. He feels like uh, he's a teacher, and there's a method to some of the, uh, I don't wouldn't call them uh, shenanigans or anything else, but there's a method to uh, the actions that he takes. How good can this Gopher team be? They're in the Big Ten West division. There's some uh, competition there, certainly. Where where do you peg these guys right now? Early, obviously. Oh, it's early, Mike. And I, I think I'd say hopefully like in the top four in the conference if everything kind of, you know, has got to fall our way. We need to be successful. But some home games um, fall our way this year that we need to have. They're tough teams. Then I think we got a shot at, you know, maybe even finishing a little bit higher. I think offensive line is a big kind of a concern of mine, you know, and then I, there's a little bit of confusion, not confusion, but there's some debate, you know, in the quarterback spot and other positions of, I think will fall into place, but that offensive line is a big um, question mark for me. Depth-wise at the offensive line especially, I think they feel good that they've got five guys that can play, and if those guys all stay healthy, it could be a really good line with really good running backs, but if they get dinged up and have to dip deep into that pool, uh, that probably is where your concern lies, I well, suppose. Well, that and I, a lot of those guys that they feel good about didn't play very much last year. So, I mean, that's certainly, um, you know, a concern. But, I mean, the you know, the, the lights shine. Every, they're, you know, they're Division One football players. I'm sure they'll play well. And you're right. It, you certainly hope that nobody twists an ankle or limps off the field because then they might be looking for you to come in the game. <laughs> and we don't want that. That's for <laughs> sure. No question. You mentioned the quarterback spot. Uh, again, we're early in camp, but we're three weeks from the season opener, so P.J. Fleck and uh, Kirk Sharaka, the offensive coordinator, at some point want to make a decision between now and then. I know Fleck has mentioned he wants to have a starter in place. Uh, what's your impression of where that race is headed right now? Uh, it seems like it's 50-50. You know, it seems like one one day it's Connor, one day it's Demery, and it just kind of goes back and forth. And the way Demery started off the um, the spring game, I thought, oh, he's got it locked up. You know, but I think Connor's, you know, he's worked his way back into the picture. So I don't know. We'll have to just wait and see and obviously defer to them. You know, they're with them all day, all night, every day, or at least what they can be around them. If this team is to make, let's say, a surprising jump, all of a sudden they're contending, uh, they're in it into November, um, how key will a jump in that quarterback position be? I mean, if they jump, will the quarterback also have to have a jump? I think so. I think the quarterback's got to get hot. You know, and make some good decisions under pressure situations, and if that offensive line holds up and the running backs can take some of that pressure off of him, all the better. I mean, I think that's the 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 um, the model they're working with. Defensive side of the football was the strength and has been the strength of this team now for a number of years. Um, they lose some stuff on the back end, but the defensive tackles, again, uh, very comfortable, I think, with that first four or five. Linebackers, they've got them coming out their ears so much so that they're moving some to the defensive line. What's your impression of the defense? I mean, very similar to what you're talking about. I think it'll be interesting to see what they do on the backside with the, the corners, especially. I mean, that's a, you know, the modern game. People are going to spread you out and they're going to run no huddles. They're going to kind of keep running at you. So you hope that the depth holds up back there. But I do feel very good about the linebackers and the defensive line. I think that's 
kind of where you went. If you can put pressure on the quarterback, make him nervous, it makes that, that young secondary a little bit more confident back there. And that season opener, August the 31st, it's a Thursday night game. I look forward to uh, to seeing you that night, and it's always fun. Usually I say spending Saturdays with you, but we'll spend that opening Thursday primetime at TCF Bank Stadium. I look forward to it, Mike. Now, when you and I aren't hanging out together in the press <laughs> box, uh, you uh, have really had an impact on the community. You uh, are, are the man that has started – Boulder Options, what year now is this? This for? is 24 years. 24 years with yeah. Boulder Options. Most people, I think, now have a general idea of what you're all about with that. But for those that maybe uh, are new or haven't heard of it, tell us about Boulder Options. Well, what Boulder Options is is a, a health and wellness-based mentoring program. So we run, bike, tutor, and do healthy activities um, with kids. And we also do a fair amount of speaking. Last night we were speaking out at Plymouth to the uh, the area um, youth football team. So we do a decent amount of that too. But our, our niche and focus is on the activity-based mentoring and introducing kids to a healthy lifestyle through a positive adult role model. Yeah, and how do you find kids that need mentors? I mean, so many kids need help. Um, how do you go about finding, one, the kids, and two, then the mentors that can help those youngsters? Well, the kids is pretty easy to find for us. We've been around now for a while, so we get an influx of kids all the time. They need to be professionally referred to us, so they come from social workers and counselors inside the school, sometimes judges. Uh, and then the mentors are everywhere, through um, the bike rides, the runs, the run clubs, um, the run stores, bike stores, health clubs, word of mouth, the internet, you know, Twitter, Facebook, all the kind of traditional marketing opportunities. And sometimes we can you know, get on the radio or have some other opportunities to get in front of people and recruit. How rewarding is it to see young people that need help get help and then move on and, and really become great citizens and the impact you have. It's very, very rewarding, Mike. I think it's one of the reasons I keep coming back to work. I think I think about doing other things every once in a while, and, and I kind of come back to Boulder Options, and I see a kid or bump into a kid. And I had a speech last night, and this young lady ran up to me and goes, hey, I'm in Boulder Options. And she gave me a hug and wanted to catch up and talk a little bit. And her brother's like, I want to be in Boulder Options. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> you know, your time will come, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it's a nonprofit group. If people want to help, how can they How can they help financially? Uh, they can go to the website and make a contribution directly at the website. Website. Just uh, donate now and put whatever you want to put in there and, you know, yeah. <laughs> help us out a little bit. The bigger bit. the number, the better, right? <laughs> yes. The more <laughs> what, zeros, the better. <laughs> what is the uh, webpage? Uh, boulderoptions.org. Boulder does not have a U in it, so boulderoptions.org. Very good. Great to see you, my friend. Thank you. That's Mike Grimm and Daryl Thompson. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.